we're in this series starting today called The Struggle is Real, which is, man, really appropriate considering it's winter in St. Louis. It has been 70 and 16 this week, 15 minutes apart, too. So, so there's that. And then it's also, you know, it's February, land of broken New Year's resolutions. I know it's cliche, but man, it's so funny every time. The gym in December versus January. You've seen this before, this meme. I know you've seen it before. Wow. And then February looks like December again, right? It's just, we all have these intentions, and then we just, we have these good ideas and these thoughts about this is going to be the year that I'm going to really do something different, and we just don't. So um, turn maybe really quickly to the person near you and just be really honest. This is a place where it's okay to do that. Is there anything about your life that you're trying to change this year? Any goals you've got? Just turn to the person near you. Just tell them, are you trying to lose weight, trying to gain weight, trying to do better with your money? Just turn and talk for a second. Oh, man. How many of you, just be honest, how many of you are like one of my favorite uncles? We'd ask him about something, you know, like, are you going to do this? And he'd be like, change? Why mess with perfection? <laughs> Uncle Bruce, I loved him. Or maybe you can relate more to this guy. If you can't read what it says, he says, when you just ate an entire pizza and you can't decide if you're disgusted with yourself or you want to finish strong with cake. How many, is that anybody else besides me? I'm finished strong with ice cream. I'm proud of myself. Man, you know, we all have these goals we aspire to. It's the new year and everybody's like, okay, this is going to be the year that things are different. Or just at any point in your life, you think this is the time I'm going to change and something prods you. And then you start to try to change and you realize changing is really hard. Maybe I should just be how I am. And I'll just give you a real life personal example for me. Back in 2016, one of the things that I said I wanted to do for 2016 was drink less soda. And some of you are like, why would you do that? That's dumb. That's great. You don't need to change anything. But I did. So what I did is I thought, I need to keep track of this because I'll be motivated if I'll just chart it out. So I had an Excel spreadsheet. And every day that I didn't drink any soda, I got zero. So the goal was to have zero every month. And I, but I knew I wasn't going to totally be soda-free. So I thought, well, I'll just even if I get close. So in January, I started out really strong. I've got a chart here. January, I had four sodas. Two of those, I just took a drink and went, eh, I don't need that. Four. February was a little more intense around our church life, so I went up to 10, but that was okay. We were starting the Rooted campaign, if you were here at that time, starting the building program, so there were a lot of meetings. I needed a little caffeine to push through. March, more meetings, and that, but it still is doing really good. And then April. Oh, April. Don't judge. <laughs> this is true. I'm embarrassed to show you the rest of the year, but that, and I'm not even going to show you my weight chart, right? I mean, you can relate to that, though. Change is hard, right? If you've ever tried to change something about your life, you know that I'm telling the truth, and you know what it's like. And here's something I have found. Maybe you've discovered this, too. I'm a pretty self-disciplined person, but willpower only goes so far. I've reached my limit, and you probably have found that, too. Self-control, you might be, you know, like, you might be a personal trainer, which is, like, at the top of the chart as far as self-discipline. But what research is showing is that All of us have a finite amount of self-control, willpower, self-discipline. If you think about it this way, all of us have like this gas tank that contains our self-control, and it gets filled up every day. If you get a good night's sleep, you've got a limited, finite amount. And we tend to think, oh, some people are just born super disciplined. That's not. They may have a little bit bigger gas tank than you, but all of us have a gas tank of self-control, self-discipline, resolve, and it gets spent through the day. Which means the more times in any given day that you are called upon to be self-controlled, to not call somebody out who's driving like an idiot in traffic, or you're working with somebody who's just done something dumb for the umpteenth time and you just you manage not to say anything about it, 
that takes a little bit of willpower out of your gas tank. Which means by the end of the day, you can have the sweetest, kindest, most caring mom, but if she's had a whole day of having her willpower taxed, by the end of the day, she will scream at her kids because she has nothing left in the tank. And so that's what we know. So when you're trying to make a change in your life just based on, I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to get through it, and I'm going to make this change, you're going to fail. Because all of us, if we depend on sheer, just going to do this thing, it's, it's going to run out. Gary Keller, I don't know if you've heard of him, or maybe the Keller Williams Realty Group, just wrote a book. He's the founder of the Keller Williams Realty Group. He wrote a book called The One Thing. And there's a quote from the book that was really meaningful to me. He said, when we know something that needs to be done but isn't currently, currently getting done, we often say, I need more discipline. And then he says, no, that's not actually what you need. Actually, we need the habit of doing that thing. And then we just need enough discipline to build the habit. And the trick to success is choosing the right habit and then just bringing just enough discipline to establish the habit. That's it. Now what Keller is pointing out here is something that the research is now showing us about what really it takes and the process that that happens when people actually do make a significant life change and it sticks. And what he's pointing out is something that God's known all along. And that is, people don't change because they really want to. People change when they develop a habit around doing the new thing. And the habit just takes over, and and you just find yourself doing something, and it doesn't really take self-control because it's become inculcated into your life. It's just a part of your process. It's part of your routine. And so instead of depending on willpower to make the changes in your life, you use the willpower to start the habit, and then eventually the habit takes over, and it carries you through those times when your willpower inevitably is going to run dry. Whatever the change is, and I want to bring this into the context of what we're talking about here. Uh, Here at Connection, we say we're here to help people get connected to God and each other through Jesus. And we're students of Jesus. Whatever he taught, we try to embrace it. We... You know, if he said, don't do that, we try to figure out how not to do that. Or if he said, you need to start doing this as one of my students, we do that. And so how do we bring this into our world of students of Jesus trying to become more mature, more like what Jesus would be as if, if he was living our life? I think, well, let's tap into the principle of this, of developing good habits. It's, uh, the philosopher Will Durant said this. I think it's been attributed to Aristotle, but it wasn't. It was Will Durant. We're, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. So I want to talk about building a specific habit today to make us more mature people, more mature Christians, more mature followers of God. Even if you're not a Christian, I think this is something you might find valuable. So there are some things that make you grow up, and some of them you don't have any control over. There are some aspects of your life that you just grow up because you get older, and you don't have any control over that. It's just going to happen. There, there are things that you cannot do yourself to make you grow up more mat- and become more mature spiritually. You just have to wait on God to do them in you. But there are some things that you and I do have control over that we can do and develop a habit around that will make us grow. And one of those I want to talk about today is building the habit of daily Bible reading, prayer, time with God. And I want to drill into what does that look like if I were to say, I want to read the Bible more. And you don't just count on willpower and self-discipline to get you through that, but that you actually develop a habit around that. And what my my goal is for us, very simple, I want to convince you to make a a habit of daily Bible reading for the rest of 2017. Now, if you feel like you're having some deja vu, I understand, because last fall, we were talking about prayer a lot, and we talked about what Jesus taught about prayer and making prayer a daily part of your life. 
beginning of the year, January 1st, if you were here on that day, Aaron Jackson, our family minister, stood right here and talked about three things that we want to make part of our life in 2017. He said we want to make time with the Bible and time in prayer and trusting God a part of our 2017 experience. So if you missed it, you can go back and get the podcast on iTunes. You can go to our website and listen to it. And you think, well, Brian, why are you repeating this? Well, I'm repeating this because we're 43 days into the new year, and those of you who were here on January 1st and committed to the, uh, like the, reading the 99 days of joy, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have read your Bible every single day since the beginning of the year? Don't raise your hand because you'll make the rest of everybody feel bad. That's okay. Well, we would have assumed you would, so that's okay. But here's the thing. If you were just depending on your strong desire to do that, you're probably not going to succeed. So how do we build a habit around daily time with God? Because here's the thing. Spending daily time with God in the Bible and prayer is probably one of the most important things that you can do, that you have control over, to influence your spiritual maturity and growth, becoming a better person. I mean, this is literally in your hands about whether you do this or not, and it's so helpful. I'm going to take you to a Bible verse. If you've got one of these, or if you've got a smartphone, Bible app, why don't you find Psalms? And you're looking for the very first one. It's P-S-A-L-M, Psalms. This is like the prayer book and the song book of the Bible. Psalm chapter 1, the first psalm. And these are, these are in the Old Testament. They were written before Jesus was born. And as I said, these are like devotionals. And some of them are awesome right on the surface. Some of them they take a little trying to figure out what does this mean because they were written 3,000 years ago. But the Psalm 1 is very easy to understand. It talks about the benefits of spending time engaged with God's Word. So let's go ahead and read the first three verses of this song, this Psalm. And I'll just read it out. It'll be on the, on the screen as well. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or who does not sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Okay, so let's pause here. And if you can keep the verse up, you can look at this. We're talking about who has the blessed life? Who's truly happy? Who's like living a good life? Uh, who is the one that God says, my favor is on you? Well, the, the person who wrote this song, first of all, said there's three things you don't want to do. This is the person who's not blessed. What are they? If you can go back to the, the first verses here. Blessed is the one who does not what? Walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Beautiful word picture here, and I never really caught it till somebody pointed it out to me. Do you realize that this person who's spending time with people who are not living towards God. You notice that it starts with walking, and then you slow down, and you stand with them, and you hang out with them. And eventually you find yourself sitting down with them because you become one of them. Because you become the sum total of the people that you hang out with. And if you spend your time and your life and your energy with people who are moving far from God, don't care about God, don't care about godly things, that's going to rub off on you. If that's all you ever do is walk their way and live their way and listen to the things they say, and eventually you'll find yourself doing what they're doing and saying what they're saying. That's not the way to live a blessed life. So what he's saying is, let's look at the other side of it. You go to the last part of that. Who is the person who is blessed? The person who delights in the law of the Lord. You can just substitute Bible there if you'd like. 
the person who meditates on God's word, the Bible, day and night, that's the person who's blessed. That's the person who's moving towards God, which is why we're talking about having this this time daily with God. Because the more you are engaged with this and with prayer, remember, you become like who you spend time with. If you spend time with God, if you spend time with Jesus through what he taught and what he did, that's what you're going to move towards. And that's why I honestly do what I do at Connection. It's what drives me every week to prepare messages and to spend time with you is this. The idea that somehow by trying to make this relevant and interesting and applicable to our lives, that all of us can move towards what God wants for our, us, the kind of life that he expects, the, the, the thing that Jesus came here to die to do, to make us into people who will always do the right thing in the right way with the right reasons. And it drives me to realize, I'm going to have a conversation with Jesus someday about how I led here and the example that I set. And I'm, I'm thinking forward to a day that I can, I can just see it. I know it's not here yet, but I can see it where there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands, of connection Christians, and we're all together, and we're happy because we walked in the way of the Lord, and we stood in the way of the Lord, and we sat with the Lord, and we thought this was important. So I, this is why I'm talking about this today. But what I really want to do for the rest of my time today is not just read a bunch of verses about how important this is and try to tell you, because that's just trying to get you to access your willpower. I want to talk about how do you make this a habit so that a year from now you're like, maybe I didn't do it every day, but I spent a majority of my days in the Bible with God. Well, how do we do that? Well, research into habit formation has been really interesting. And what they found is if you want to make a behavior stick, you need three ingredients. If you're taking notes in your worship folder, you can write these down. Three things you need. You need a reminder, you need a routine, and a reward. You get those three things and you can have a habit very quickly. A good habit or a bad habit. It works both ways. Uh, So you need the reminder, the routine, and the reward. I can tell you how one of my bad habits started. You obviously know by now I love soda. I have a routine and a reminder and a reward built around that. So every day, the reminder is it's about 10.30 in the morning, and I start to get that little dull headache, and things get a little fuzzy, and I'm not working quite as well, good as I could be. And I'm like, oh, I know what this means. That's, and that's my reminder. I need a soda. Anybody else have that? Or maybe for you it's smoking or whatever, but you got that reminder. It's time, you know. And then the reminder kicks into the routine, and I go to one of my favorite places on earth, the corner of Fizey and Brian, where there is a QT. It could be any QT. It doesn't have to be that, but the QT there is awesome. And I have a routine. I grab my 34-ounce refillable mug that my girls gave me. I go to the soda dispenser, and I get what God gave humanity as a great gift. Mountain Dew. Diet Mountain Dew, because I'm getting old. Bless you. I'll, I need that now that I'm talking about it. And you know, I've even got the routine about it. i got the mug, and I get the right amount of ice. And then before you dispense the soda, you've got to push the lever because the first starts clear. And who wants water? I want Mountain Dew. So I do, oh, then there's a routine. And then the reward. Do I even need to talk about what the reward is of drinking Diet Mountain Dew? The, the pure awesomeness, the burn, the rush of caffeine. So I have developed a habit, a bad habit around soda, because all these things are in place. Let's use this to develop a good habit with God. How do you make time with God a habit that sticks? Well, first of all, you need a reminder. You set a reminder for your time with God. So some of you, I'm, some of you have already had high school psychology. You remember Pavlov's experiment? Or some of you are looking forward to high school. It's coming. You remember that with Pavlov, Pavlov's dogs? This is not ringing a bell. Get it? So Pavlov would feed his dogs every time he did. He'd ring a bell. 
After a while, all he had to do was ring the bell, and the dogs would start salivating because they associated the sound of the bell with eating. And so it was this experiment, like, this is your reminder. The bell, it's time to eat. We've actually got a more recent example of this experiment. Watch this video. Reboot again. Hey, Dwight, do you want an Altoid? What do you think? Dwight, want an Altoid? Okay. Altoid? Sure. What are you doing? power of habit right there. The reminder goes off and the routine kicks in. So let me just give you a few ideas for something that might be a reminder for you. You could do that. You could set an alarm on your phone and when that alarm goes off, it's just your reminder. It's time to, to spend 5, 10, 15 minutes praying and reading my Bible. Doesn't have to be a long time. Just start with something. Um, some of us, we've been, last fall, we had Life on Mission. It was a series where we talked about like in Luke chapter 10 verse 2 where Jesus said we should pray that God sends people out to bring people back home to his family. So we've been at 10.02 every morning or every night. We have a reminder of an alarm, at least on my phone, that goes off. It reminds me to pray because Luke 10.2, so it's at 10.02, and sometimes that alarm goes off at the wrong time. Like I realized like a couple of months ago, my alarm had been going off in my pocket while I've been speaking to you for like 20 minutes. Like, how do I silence this and nobody knows? So it was a reminder to pray. Maybe you set this reminder at the time that you would read your Bible and set it every day for a good time. Maybe it's at lunch for you. Maybe it's, for me, it's the alarm that wakes me up if I have it. That's usually just waking up is my reminder. But maybe that works for you. You set an alarm. Another thing you might want to do is consider having your daily Bible reading emailed to you. You have it emailed to you at the time that you would read it. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you can do it through that. You can just put in your email address and tell them to send it to you, and every day it'll be that reminder. You get the ding of the email, there you go, you start reading. Or if you don't have it on your smartphone, you can go to your desktop computer and you can set it up. You can go to Bible.com. It's the same people as the Bible app. And you can have your, your daily reading from the plan emailed to you. It's an awesome idea. Another thing you might want to think about, if you're like a person who wants to read your Bible in the morning, and you set your coffee maker to start making coffee for you in the morning, just make your Bible reading time triggered by the smell of coffee being brewed in the morning. So one thing that's really effective is to tie a new habit to an existing habit. So there you go. You're addicted to caffeine. You can get addicted to the Bible at the same time. Another thing, you might want to decide to meet some, with somebody else, maybe weekly. I've got some guys that we meet together every week, and we, this is just a good way to get into the Bible and how, start developing that habit. Just find something that works for you and set a reminder, and that's the very first step. The next thing you want to do is establish a routine around this, like something that actually happens every time. Beyond the, the time, which is the reminder, you need a place and you need a plan. So that's part of a routine, a place and a plan. Last week we were talking, or last fall actually, we were talking about what Jesus taught his disciples. And one of the things Jesus says is really important when you pray is to get off by yourself. And when you pray, you go into, he said, you go in your room and you shut the door. It says Matthew 6, 6. When you pray, Jesus said, go to your room, close the door, pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In my experience, this is what's going to make or break your Bible reading and prayer time. If you're trying to do this in the family room while TV's going on, you're going to inevitably start watching TV. Uh, Again, for me, I can't read my Bible on this because I'll get a text or I'll get an email and I'll chase it down. And pretty soon I'm not 
thinking about God or reading my Bible anymore. If this works for you, great. It doesn't work for me. I'll be seven deep into Instagram before I realize it. So maybe you have to put it on airplane mode. I don't know. That's why I actually read paper version. For me, my routine is when I wake up in the morning, I just start praying. Usually I wake up, unfortunately, I wake up in the middle of the night a lot. So I just lay there and pray. Um, And I go to sleep. That's fine. But I just, when I wake up, I pray and then start reading my Bible before I get out of bed. That's just the routine and the place that works for me. For you, it might be at lunchtime or it may be a break or it might be in the evening or out on your back deck. I don't know. You just find a place, find a time that works for you. We yeah, these 99 days, this is a great plan. And the cool thing about this is if you started it and you kind of dropped off, they're not dated. It just says day one, day two, day three. So just pick up where you left off or start at the beginning again. For me, I'm kind of motivated by accomplishment. So if I was doing this, I would check off every day because I'd feel like, yeah, it's one more step forward. It's an awesome plan. I would um, say there's other plans out there. The Bible app has a bunch of plans. Uh, Just find something that works for you. For me personally, what I like to do is pick a book of the Bible and I just read through it slowly. I don't need this sense of, man, I just powered through the Bible in three months. That doesn't really work for me. I've read through the whole Bible, but I don't need to do that. I read slowly. I read a few verses, one paragraph, and I really think about it. I have a study Bible that has study notes at the bottom to help me understand what I'm reading. If I don't understand the context or I don't know why it was written that way or what does that word mean? Maybe that's what you need to do. Uh, But I do like that because then you kind of get to spend some time really thinking about and letting God talk to you. And I don't mind going back and reading things I've read before. And maybe some of you, if you're a little more experienced with the Bible, you're going to nod your head because you know what I'm talking about. Something that I read at one stage in my life means something completely different to me at a later stage in my life. Same verses. Maybe I didn't get anything out of it back there. Maybe I got something completely different out of it. But a guy in his teens or 20s is going to see something very differently than a guy like me who has a kid in college and a kid in high school. And I'm sure that every season and stage of our life, God's showing us something different. So don't be afraid to go back and read something you've already read before. And here's what research shows. If you decide to make this routine a part of your life, it doesn't take very long for something to become a habit. The sweet spot generally is about 66 days. Now, if you're trying to embrace something that's pretty easy, it's going to be quicker than that to make it a habit. If it's a little bit more difficult, it's going to maybe take up to three months or more. 66 days, which if you think about it, if you were to start today and you said, Brian, I'm on with this. I think I'm going to try to do this. Before Easter even gets here, you would already have developed a habit that you don't even have to really think about it, that it just becomes part of your ritual and your routine to just turn to your Bible and start reading. So that's the first two things. You need a a reminder. You need a routine. And let's talk right now about the reward. You go back to Psalm 1. Psalm 1-3 says this. I'm reading this of the contemporary English version. People who are engaged with God's word are like trees growing beside a stream. Trees that produce fruit in season. They always have leaves. These people succeed in everything they do. People who are engaged with God's word, they, um, like the NIV said, whatever they do, it prospers. You're going to benefit from time with this, you're going to find that you're a better person. You're going to be more knowledgeable about what God wants. You're going to find that, and it may not be instant, you may not come out every day feeling the heavens have parted and I've just been this close to God. But over time, I guarantee you will look back and you will find and people will notice that you are a different person because you've engaged with the Lord and in the Bible. 
which is why one of the things that we constantly encourage each other here at Connection to engage in is time in the Bible, time in prayer, time being generous, and time with each other. Those are things that we can control that actually do change us. And the reward is the person you become. The person that you are becoming because you decided this is important and I'm going to do this. You know, you can look at different people and you can see maybe somebody who's further down the path than you are in their faith. And you can say, that's what I want. So many times in my life I've done that. I've seen people in my church family and I just think, I want what they have. I want to become that kind of a person when I'm their age. This is one of the things you embrace to do it because I guarantee you, if there's some, a Christian that you really respect, they did this. Pastor Tim Keller, he's a pastor up in New York. He talks about an uncle of his. They, anytime they got in the car, this uncle would never put his seatbelt on. I don't know about you, but I, I can't get in the car and I'm going to put my seatbelt on. It feels like I didn't wear clothes to get in the car. It's that just like I, I need to put my... But his uncle, like, you, you can put your seatbelt on? No, I don't need it. Put your seatbelt on. No, you, you could get hurt. I'm okay. We're fine. You're a good driver. Well, one day, Tim said, my uncle got in the car. First thing he did was buckle a seatbelt. That's odd. What are you doing? Why would you put your seatbelt on? And his uncle said... Well, last week, a buddy of mine was in a car accident. I went to see him at the hospital. He had over 200 stitches on his face because he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, and he went through the windshield. Changes things, doesn't it? Tim said, I, in my words, Tim said, I just decided to poke the bear. I knew what he was going to say, but I, just, I asked him, like, what new information? You knew that people have accidents and go through the windshield, right? What new information did you get that made you start seeing the reality of this and needing to do it? And Tim said, I knew what he was going to say, but I just wanted to ask anyway. What changed was the abstract thought of somebody could go through the windshield someday became very real when he saw an actual person who had actually done that. And seeing the reality of what could have been his future made him change his behavior. That's the negative side of it. And you probably know people who have shipwrecked their life because they weren't doing this. They weren't engaged in a Christian community of people who love you even when you make mistakes and try to help you get on the right course. They weren't engaged in time with God. But let's look at this positive side of this. You're not alone in this universe. We have each other, and we have God who loves us, who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us, like we read in John 3.16. You're not alone. And so when you decide to get involved in something like this in time with God, Everything that's good and powerful in the universe gets behind you to help you make that change. And it doesn't just have to be an abstract, maybe I'll be better someday. It can be your reality. And God wants to help you with that. I want to give you one last scripture to hold on to. This is out of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, We keep on praying for you, asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May God give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. I want to pray that prayer for you right now. Would you stand up and let's think about this some more as we go into our communion time. Father, I do ask that you would make us able to do the things that we can't do on our own. At the end of our strength, at the end of our self-control, will you make us the kind of people that we want to be and should be? And Father, thank you for the grace that you give us that when we can't do things on our own, when we do fail you, that you give us forgiveness and you give us nothing but patience and kindness and you teach us how to live. I pray for you to teach our hearts today how much you love us, that you will prod us and prompt us to move in the right direction. 
And I ask that if there's something that we need to do, that you would give us a strong sense of what it is and that you would give us the courage to actually do it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.